Ethical space is a wonderful framework for providing the container, if you will, the space to be able to deeply explore the assumptions we're bringing into the conversations we're having between different worldviews. So the opportunity within ethical space is to, as my mentor in the space, Reg Crowshue says, is to deeply understand what needs to be understood from the other's perspective, and then create something new from that understanding. Part of this work is on that individual commitment level to allow yourself to be transformed through your understanding, and then the creativity to be able to create something new. Hi, Ole, hi, Ole, hi, Ole, Ole. Hi, Ole, hi, Ole, hi, Ole, Ole. Hi, Ole, hi, Ole, hi, Ole, Ole. Greetings, relatives. My name is Melissa Nelson, and I'm your host and gardener. Welcome to the Native Seed Pod, a podcast aimed at celebrating the diversity and beauty of native seeds, soils, and indigenous foods. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Season 4 of the Native Seed Pod. We are an antidote to the monoculture. This season, we have some exciting innovations and new hosts and partners. We start the season with two episodes about the growing field of traditional ecological knowledges, or TEK, and indigenous knowledge systems. We explore how Native scientists and practitioners are respectfully including TEK in our land management strategies in ecological societies, governments, and academia. We know the term TEK is contested and not agreed upon by everyone, but we feel it's an important entry point into discussions about indigenous peoples and our unique ways of knowing our lands, our waters, our skies, and our non-human relatives. We are all related. We 
We next offer a series of episodes in partnership with Arizona State University's Biomimicry Center, funded by the Institute for Humanities Research. This curated series is co-hosted with Sara El Said and Lily Ehrman. Together, we interview Indigenous women scholars and activists in conversation with women scientists leading the field of biomimicry. Special guests include Kim Tallbear, Janine Benyus, Dana Baumeister, Penelise Dross, and Maybrit Penderson-Zari. In this series, we explore the synergies and frictions between Indigenous knowledges and biomimicry. After all of those wonderful national and international conversations, we close the season by coming home to the west coast of Turtle Island and the language revitalization movement happening in native California. TCC CEO Sarah Moncada and media producer Raven Marshall curate a special series of episodes with extraordinary Native California Indian leaders, such as Julian Lang, El Frank, and Diana Almendarez. And this podcast would not be possible without the wonderful work of producer Mateo Inojosa, musician and sound engineer Colin Farish, with essential production support from Sarah Moncada, Raven Marshall, and Alexis Stanley. Miigwech to the great Native Seed Pod team. Thank you for tuning in to season four and joining the conversation. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Native Seed Pod. I am so honored here to have two very special guests, James Rattlingleaf and Gwen Bridges. And we are going to be speaking with you about traditional ecological knowledge and the work that we've been doing to indigenize ecology with the Ecological Society of America and an upcoming conference we're having in Portland in early uh, August. So welcome, James and Gwen. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Melissa, again. Uh, let me begin by introducing myself in, in, my, uh, in my traditional language. We say, um, James uh, Good morning, good day. I greet you from my heart with a handshake. I am known as James Rowlingleaf, and I um, I am a member of the Rosebud Sioux Tribe. And thank you, Melissa, for this invitation to speak uh, on, on your podcast. And I'm looking forward to the discussion. Wonderful. Thank you so much, James, for that traditional greeting. And Buju Nindinwe Magan, I greet you as my relative. And it's great that we can connect here this morning. Uh, Gwen, if you can introduce yourself, please. Good morning, Tonse. My name is Gwen Bridge. I'm a member of the Satellite Cree Nation in northern Alberta, Canada. Um, living in Canada, working a lot with traditional knowledge and the implementation of Indigenous law within government-to-government um, -government agreements, and also working um, in across all of North America. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, and thank you for your incredible work. We look forward to hearing more about it. And we've only known each other directly maybe about a year and a half, but it's incredible how we have made good relatives and that the work that we're doing through the TEK section, the Traditional Ecological Knowledge section 
of the Ecological Society of America has really galvanized or re-inspired a movement of indigenous scientists. And really, it was because of your leadership, James. Uh, I had been involved with ESA as a graduate student 20-some years ago, and there were literally three or four of us Native American ecologists talking with each other, and um, we supported each other, but there really wasn't quite a movement yet within that society. It was very small. We were still a bit marginalized. We talked mainly to each other, um, but then it was through um, our wonderful graduate student and colleague, uh, Joseph Gazingwolf, that said, hey, we should, you know, get back involved with ESA. There's a wonderful Lakota leader of the new section, James Radlingleaf. And, and James, that's really your leadership kind of brought us all together. And if you can share a little bit about how you got involved with ESA and what you're excited about with our TEK section. Well, thank you, uh, Melissa. You know, certainly uh, it's been an opportunity and an honor to, to work with you and, and others. Uh, as we build out uh, what the ESA TK section can be. You know, I got involved about three and a half years ago. Um, ESA invited me to a diversity luncheon as a speaker. And so I gave a, I gave a talk on the importance of uh, working with indigenous people and, and our knowledges. And it seemed to resonate uh, with the audience and with the ESA leadership. And so I was encouraged to uh, take on the role as TK section chair and, um, I wasn't sure if I should do it or not uh, because I, you know, I'm not a traditional ecological trained person from the Western perspective anyway, but for some reason I said I should, I should take it on. So I did. And in that, in that effort, you know, obviously, as you said, uh, the way I sort of do things is to try to bring, bring uh, good people together for a good purpose. And so I was really, uh, really glad that people responded uh, and we've been th we, we began to rebuild the TK section in terms of uh, purpose, in terms of um, um, how uh, how we can be and rejuvenate the TK section. Because I know there's been good leadership before there are many years, and so I wanted to build upon that, but also you know bring some fresh new eyes to the to the opportunities, right? And so uh, I was approached by ESA to say, how can we bring more Indigenous people into the society? but also to the conferences and to the workshops and things that we do. And so um, it was just great to people that great that people responded positively. And so we started with a webinar series. And, you know, as you know, we had 12 webinars this past uh, year and a half and just the response from our indigenous scholars and, and leaders just was, was, um, you know, was such a joy for me uh, that they wanted to come and contribute. And so that really created a lot of attention within ESA, the importance of uh, TK, but also, on the on the larger, broader landscape, as you know, the T, the role of TK is becoming more and more important in dealing with the real issues of the world, uh, like global climate change and and all those things. Especially here in America, with with this new memorandum coming down from the White House, uh, elevating TK and federal decision making. So you know, the challenge I guess I see it was really how does ESA become more relevant to tribal people, tribal nations, and tribal colleges and tribal students? Is there a role for ESA? In, in the future years to play an important part in the development of our next generation leaders, and especially when it comes to working with TK in respectful ways. So I think it all came together, Melissa, uh, in a good way. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm real happy that, again, that there's been a good response and people want to get involved. And so there's so many opportunities for others to get involved now. 
as you know, we're getting ready for uh, for Portland in August uh, to gather again. And we hope that, that through the good planning and a good leadership that we're going to have some good outcomes and some good experiences for all of us, not just a, uh, not just Indigenous people, but for all of us. And I think that's the that's how I see it. Yeah, you know, we share this planet, and uh, we need to figure out how to work and solve those problems together using both um, TEK Western Science. So that's kind of how I see it, and how I got involved going um, from from three plus years ago. Wonderful. Well, thank you for that background, James. And again, your leadership that really brought such a diverse group of Native American uh, practitioners, scholars, students, uh, you know, land managers and scholars from, you know, the four directions of Turtle Island, as well as some folks from, you know, Alaska. So it's been really great to see. We now have a critical mass of like 30 people, and that's very exciting. And uh, last year, thanks to your efforts with um, our wonderful ally, uh, Bob Newman and uh, Joseph Gazenwolf and others, we were able to get a National Science Foundation grant to have a pre-conference workshop in Montreal and we had 35 uh, Indigenous scholars and practitioners there for a TEK workshop, two-day workshop. And that also really brought us together in a powerful way to uh, come up with shared goals, shared strategies, um, shared obstacles as well. Um, and there was an intergenerational aspect, which I loved with some of the, us who've been doing it um, for a few decades, some who are just starting their careers, and then some cultural knowledge holders and elders from the communities. So that intergenerational aspect of, of the knowledge sharing is really key. And we felt that, I thought, very well with the Mohawk Nation and the great cultural event, Gwen, that you put together, um, the cultural sharing evening. So please, Gwen, share a little bit more about your experience and interest. Um, we were voluntold by James to be uh, the the co-chairs of the, the TEK section for this next term. And uh, you and I both agreed. Um, to, we were honored to be asked to serve in this capacity. And you've really taken a lot of leadership, Gwen. So please share your interest and excitement in the TEK section. Um. I, like you, Melissa, was inspired by James's leadership of the section to become involved. A, the Ecological Society of America was um, known to me, but not really known as a place where Indigenous scholars in traditional knowledge or science could come together and convene and share ideas. And I participated as part of the section um, in the conversations in Montreal at the pre-meeting workshop last August. And I was so inspired by the way people came together, the way they shared, the enthusiasm for getting together and sharing scholarship and sharing experiences and ideas that indeed I, I did agree to with you um, chair the section and continue the advancement of the place for convening and idea sharing with both ourselves amongst Indigenous scholars and with others around um, traditional ecological knowledge, its understanding in relation to science, its understanding in relation to the shifts that we would need to see in the world to make sure that we have, say, biodiversity sustainability 
um, climate change mitigation, um, clean water, all of these kinds of things are really now understood to be predicated upon the traditional ecological understanding of the world. And ESATK section and ESA broadly have embraced that theme of wanting to learn more and really develop some of the pragmatic understandings of what that might mean. So I'm happy to share um, how I, I go about doing that in my world with the section, with others, and also to be part of all of the conversations that are happening at ESA. So that's wonderful. Mm, that is great to hear. And we have quite a lineup for this year. I think the success of last year and um, for the listeners, the ESA is the, the largest uh, ecology meeting in the world, um, a global uh, academic society of mainly Western scientists, but slowly and surely we have been working to bring in more Indigenous leaders and speakers and students and faculty and practitioners. And I do want to do a shout out to some of the early leaders of the TEK section, uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer, Potawatomi botanist, uh, Enrique Samon, um, Raramari ethnobotanist, ethnoecologist, um, and there have been many, many others. Um, but this last year in Montreal, 30, 35 um, folks, and that was very powerful. Again, some focused on um, ecotoxicology, cleaning up our tribal lands from toxic residues and poisoning. Some focused on forestry, wanting to really ensure that our beautiful trees and forests continue in a good way and sustainably harvest them and use them for good uses. Uh, some are focused on um, watershed restoration and cleaning up our waters and increasing the biodiversity and cultural relevance of um, the basketry plants and other aspects of watershed restoration. And then, James, you've really been focused on climate change adaptation and some of the climate work. Can you share a little bit more about that? And, you know, when we think of ecology, we often think of really earth and land-based things. But for indigenous ecologists, we're also thinking of the sky, the weather, the stars, really very holistic understanding of ecology as our home on Mother Earth, the planet, but also with the sky and all of our um, seen and unseen relatives and how climate change is affecting us all now in some pretty drastic ways. So you've been focused on climate work. And if you could share a bit about that would be wonderful. Yeah, well, thank you, Melissa, for that question. Um, just uh, on the news this morning, I was watching and listening to Grid Morning America. And if you saw that story this morning, um, I guess, according to them, that this is one of the hottest um, recorded, human recorded uh, heat temperatures across the world in the history of the world as far as they see it. And if we just think about that for a moment, the one of the hottest times we're living in that right now, our, our generation is living through this great change in our world. And I think that in, in my work, you know, obviously we're, we work at a local level, but it's really preparing our, our tribal people you know, to deal with the changing climate. Uh, we know from our oral history and oral traditions that we've always dealt with change, but, um, but I wonder if this is unprecedented in our own cultures today, and not now. And now that we, um, you know, we have this, um, we have this, you know, this way of life now that I think that uh, is being um, being affected um, by this changing climate. And so we, uh, we as uh, as leaders within our tribes, then have a responsibility to help figure out what, what do we do. 
And for the for the work that we had, I do on Rosebud, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do and we're going to do is to build a, a climate initiative within our tribe, tribal government and to work with our tribal programs like water, land, agriculture, food, health, uh, culture. We're trying to um, implement a climate adaptation plan that was put together about a year ago. And so we're thinking about, you know, like a whole new uh, housing uh, housing situation where housing is a big deal for us here too. It's a lack of affordable housing, lack of quality housing, lack of, of good uh, energy efficient housing. So we're working now fiercely to um, write proposals uh, to the federal government, you know, to address housing. Um, second one is we're looking at energy, the importance of energy. Uh, how do we how do we bring renewable energy in cost effective ways, less environmental damaging ways to our local community, so that our people can not only have those systems, but also maintain them and to create maybe future jobs and development of work skills that allow them to work in the renewable energy sector. Uh, third focus is water. Uh, with this heat, increasing heat, we know that there's impact on water resources on our tribe and other tribes in the Northern Great Plains where I live. And so we have to begin to understand not only what's happening locally, uh, but also regionally and how uh, our water resources are, are impacted by climate change. And so sometimes there's too much water, sometimes there's not enough water, and and sometimes that water is polluted. So we have big issues, and and so the tribe is going to take on the whole watershed, water resource issue, in particular working with data. The fourth part of this project is really working on data, data science, and data education. How do we incorporate more data into our decision-making as tribal nations? And how do we not only do that, but how do we how do we teach that to our tribal our tribal leadership, our tribal program leaders, and all those who uh, who uh, who are a part of the decision-making tree? And then finally, I'd say, but the most important is our culture. The fifth point is our culture, really understanding the impact of culture. So right now, at uh, this time of the year, uh, as you know, uh, we are in our Sundance season, and so we have to always uh, do things that's going to support. And promote and perpetuate um, our, our our ceremonies, our culture ways, and so our people can understand uh, that you know that the changing climate is going to impact is impacting these things, and so have a better understanding, but also have a plan uh, and a strategy to deal with these changes. So we have tremendous challenges in our tribe with climate change, and so yes. we got to build that leadership uh, the, from, as you mentioned, intergenerational leadership to address uh, the complexity of climate change and how we as tribal nations are gonna, gonna put forward ideas and solutions to these, to these tremendous tasks. So, um, so I, um, I find myself today uh, uh, really, uh, uh, you know, not only uh, encouraged by this new project, but also uh, realistic about the challenges that we face. And so it, it's, uh, all of us face, not mm-hmm. just the tribes. That's right. And so we, we're, um, we're, you know, we're in ceremony this this summer. We're our Sundance season, prayers, and and just helping prepare our people so that we can deal with this. So that'd be my, uh, mm-hmm. that's my thoughts, uh, Melissa. Yeah.
Native Seed Pod is produced by the Cultural Conservancy with generous support by Tamil Pius Trust. To contribute to our polyculture and to find out more information, please visit us at nativeseedpod.org or nativeland.org. Yeah, wonderful, James. Thank you for, again, that important work and a lot of us are following what you're doing with uh, the tribal climate interface and and again your leadership with being a strong voice for um the the terrible impacts that tribes and indigenous communities are facing on our lands waters and air and how important it is as often canaries in the coal mine that tribes need to uh, have these problems addressed more urgently and more quickly than other communities, but ultimately it's affecting all of us all around the world. So thank you. And Gwen, I know you've done some work with climate also up with Cree nations and in BC with other nations and with fire as well as we're facing these devastating fires in Canada and all over the place um, with resource management and conservation uh, strategies. Um, so it'd be great to hear a little bit about your work in those areas. Yeah, there is a lot going on in Canada. Um, as some of um, listeners might be aware, Canada has endorsed through commitments and legislation to be consistent with the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And British Columbia, where I live, is also um, endorsed through legislation, a commitment to make all of the existing legislation consistent with um, UNDRIP. And so this provides a lot of opportunities to think through um, the sort of rapid implementation of Indigenous law, i.e. traditional ecological knowledge, um, in management regimes. It's an opportunity to define new management regimes within this this context of um, being beholden to two systems, being beholden to the Western scientific system and being beholden to the uh, indigenous knowledge systems that are coming forward through these conversations. In British Columbia, this is called the idea of understanding and living within an environment of legal pluralism. So we're moving from the consideration of indigenous knowledge within 
sort of existing management and policy regimes of the of the state governments and moving into the application of indigenous knowledge outside and in complementary nature with these um, state systems. So it's an interesting interplay sort of on the policy and legislation level for what it means to align um, state governments with indigenous law. And so this plays out in lots of ways. And one of the the considerations here in Canada, many of you in the U.S. are aware of um, the Canadian fires this year. And there's a lot of talk, and there has been for a long time, about the need to do prescribed burns across the entire country in Cree traditional ways, in Okanagan traditional ways, in Anishinaabe traditional ways, these types of things. That here in the Okanagan, where I'm working on a lot of conservation work and national park work and really getting some of these um, indigenous knowledge-based regimes um, onto the ground, is that what we're finding in, in, in this period in time, and this year, as James mentioned, this hottest year, is there was, whilst there is the change to um, and commitment from governments to really think through the application of Indigenous knowledge. There was no opportunity to do Indigenous burning this year because the temperatures were too high. There was no window between winter and spring, um, really no spring, to be allow that traditional practice to um, be applied, even though there was willingness amongst all parties. So this is concerning because it's such a a rapid change. And so now these kind of snowball effects from all of the fire suppression and then the climate change and then the inability to practice those things leaves us in a confused situation, right? And and I think, you know, a lot of the work that ESA TEK section is doing, well, kind of what do we do now? What do we take from science and what do we take from TEK and how do we quickly modify? How do we quickly sort of mitigate and reimagine what needs to happen um, within these types of environments? And that's just one example. There's all kinds of stuff um, going on with um, with water and water quality and sort of the rapid increasing temperatures and extinction events that we're anticipating. How do we think through from an Indigenous perspective what's required and thinking through, um, you know, informed by all of the historic adaptation practices and understandings to um, and then pull in the science to be like, okay, well, now we're in a situation that none of us have really anticipated. And so you know, what is that exercise uh, to do? One of the people, the lower smoke I'm working with, is they have um, this trajectory for basically extinction events because of increased temperature in the water. And so it's like, okay, well, we can see that coming down. What can we do to shift that trajectory? Like using everything we have, scientific and TEK, right? Because that's not a trajectory we want to go down. That's the whole point of all this climate change work is to shift those trajectories, right? So when we're on the ground, when we're doing work, when we're in relationship, with the land, um, you know, how do we see those things playing out? How do we quickly measure the the impact from the um, interventions we take on the landscape using both science and TEK? So it's a really interesting time, but stuff is shifting really, really, really quickly. And so when people see these fires and they say, oh, we should have indigenous burning, we weren't even able to burn. So I think that ESA, TEK, bringing that academic um, consideration, that TEK consideration together to really begin to um, think through what that means and how to deal with it quickly is one of the wonderful opportunities of um, that the ESA provides. And so that's great. Mm. Thank you so much, Gwen. That was wonderful to hear from you. You were alluding to some work that um, you have really focused on that I think is so valuable. And um, we're just 
looking at it a little bit more, I certainly use it a lot here in the U.S., which is the concept of ethical space of engagement. And can you share a bit, Gwen, about this concept of ethical space that you use in in your work to bring together Western and Indigenous science? I think it's very relevant for what we're trying to do with ESA as well. Ethical space is a a wonderful framework for um, providing the container, if you will, the space to be able to deeply explore the assumptions we're bringing into the conversations we're having between different worldviews. So the opportunity within ethical space is to, as as my mentor in the space, Reg Crowshue says, is to um, deeply understand what needs to be understood from the other's perspective and then create something new from that understanding. So the opportunity mm. uh, that we face now in, in, um, in North America is to bring forward that understanding of what's supposed to be understood from the Indigenous perspective, right? That's not something that has been willingly listened to very often before. And so what ESA and the scholars and the, and the associates who are, who are in the space and bringing forward that information to be deeply understood by the other, it's such an opportune moment to be able to, to um, have others understand. And so I'm really optimistic that a lot of this work in developing deeper understanding through a conversation of ethical space will result in the changes that we need to see. So there's that two parts, right? Develop the deep understanding and then make the change. And the conversation that's surrounding that is really, um, is nicely framed by this concept of ethical space. It requires personal commitment for transformation and growth. And I think that that's, you know, in the work that I've been doing across some of the the trainings and stuff like that, that's really become apparent is that part of this work is on that individual commitment level to allow yourself to be transformed through your understanding and then the creativity to be able to create something new. So Reg talks a lot about those three components, I suppose, deep understanding, commitment to change, and um, this transformational component, right? So it's really important. Um, it's great. Mm, yes, that's wonderful. Yeah, I was very fortunate to learn about the concept um, from Willie Ermine, a pre-philosopher ethicist in Saskatchewan, who wrote about the ethical space of engagement in terms of um, Indigenous or Aboriginal law with uh, Canadian law systems and really how do you bring together different legal systems and legal thought. And so that concept has really caught on with the scientific community, especially with Indigenous peoples, as you framed so beautifully with the willingness to be transformed and to change and to work together and to understand what needs to be understood from someone with a very different perspective than you. And I think that's one thing I'm excited about with ESA now is 20 years ago, there still was a lot of uh, marginalization, um, lack of respect, quite honestly, for TEK, and maybe lack of awareness, lack of understanding, lack of interest also. And now, you know, 2023 here, um, there's so much interest that our section is just growing significantly. And we have at our conference, I think one or two Indigenous workshops or sessions every day of the conference, which is really exciting. And when you really help put together a lot of those workshops and sessions. So 
what are some sessions that you're excited about? And if you can share some of the wonderful speakers we're bringing together for the ESA conference in Portland uh, in August. Yeah, so it, you're right. There was a lot of effort by members of the section to put forward the sessions and workshops and and um, different events at the ESATK. And, and I worked on a few. And I know that, you know, part of this is to really begin to create a, a character and a culture at ESA which reflects and understands um, Indigenous knowledge. So we've been fortunate to have um, all kinds of wonderful events, including some of the policy stuff coming out of um, the, you know, James's work in the U.S. White House around the Biden memo and things like that. So we'll be having a session on sort of doing a deep dive there. We'll be doing um, sessions for um, the Canadian headwaters of the Columbia River and understanding traditional perspectives about the importance of the Canadian contributions to the to the Columbia and protecting those. We'll be doing, um, and that's with Rob Edward and Lauren Turbasket, and then um, James is doing the White House stuff. And then uh, Marlo Sam, who's an Indigenous scholar from the Okanagan here in Canada, his wife is Jeanette Armstrong who's also speaking and Marlo's going to be speaking too on water and with our with our colleague Ellen Simmons and then we're also having um, what's called an inspire session where many members um, from the ESA tech section will have sort of five minutes to highlight including um, our friend Joseph Gazingwolf and Lydia Jennings and um, and um, Ruth um, Plenty Sweetgrass she kills myself and so it's going to be a, a wonderful roster of people who are who are sharing all of these wonderful things. I'll be talking a little bit about, well, quite a lot more about sort of ethical space and understanding Indigenous world from a legislative perspective and how Indigenous knowledge and science really interplay within that legislative construct with Lydia um, at, at one session as well. So there's many and there's some more and that's not exhaustive, but we've really put in a great effort this year. Yes, I'm so excited about it and really looking forward to a session that uh, I'll be doing with James and Jeanette Armstrong at really looking at concrete examples about how TEK is infusing our tribal nations policies and it's how it's infusing even federal and state and local governments with policy and also how we're finally transforming the academy and the ivory tower in Western science fields um, with TEK being taught in classrooms, at universities, um, certainly the work that many of us are doing um, at many different colleges throughout US and Canada. So that will be a session on how we're elevating TEK in communities, tribes, governments, and universities. And for those of you who don't know, Jeanette Armstrong and her husband, Marlo Sam, are wonderful Okanagan leaders from inland BC and uh, do some tremendous work at the Inalkin Center. So we'll be hearing about some of the great models uh, and programs and projects they do there around watershed restoration, food, and, and culture. Thank you, Gwen, again, for all your leadership this year um, with the TEK section and putting in so many sessions um, that we're going to have a pretty dynamic, uh, rich conference. And James, if um, you can also share some of the exciting work that you want to do at this upcoming conference and also congratulate you for being nominated to join uh, the board of trustees of uh, ESA, the, the official governing structure. I think it's the first time we're having an Indigenous leader join at that level. So 
a warm congratulations to you and also thank you for your service. And I think that will be officially shared at this upcoming conference. Well, thank you, Melissa. And I know um, it's going it's to be an honor and it's a great honor to be a part of, to be asked to serve in this leadership role. And it's a three-year term. And so my, my first term will start here in August and uh, I'll have an opportunity to, to be at that level to affect policy, affect change. And, and the goal is to really work um, with indigenous community, to, again, to ask the question, you know, how do we make ESA um, more effective in, in developing um, future leaders for tribal nations? I mean, I, I tend to think at a broader level, and I'm thinking that ESA could be a good example, a good user study how we work with organizations like that to move them in a, in a different direction uh, in a positive and, and a useful way. Uh, certainly it's going to take, you know, and I welcome all, all those who want to work with us uh, to be part of the society. I think change can also begin within. And so it's going to take uh, a lot of effort. It's going to take a lot of conversations. And I do think that the, the, the use of ethical space will be a, a tremendous tool and framework to have these conversations of how we affect organizations like ESA to be more respectful uh, and relevant and re relational to indigenous people. Um, I think uh, the, the, the conference is a great uh, venue uh, to, to convene indigenous people and our knowledges. I think we have, um, certainly we're gonna, we're gonna open up the meeting always in a, in a, in a good way with um, the local tribal leaders to do that. Uh, we, we welcome elders to be part of that. Um, I'm excited about cultural night. Again, we're going to have uh, an evening dedicated to uh, welcoming local tribal uh, folks to come into ESA and to work with us on presenting and sharing uh, their knowledge, their culture with us. That, that was su successful at our last meeting, as you mentioned, Melissa. But also, I think what else can we do? I think um, I'm certainly don't think mm -hmm. that I have all the answers how we're going to do this work with ESA, but. But I'll be uh, I'll I'll have an open heart, open mind, open ears to hear from you all, uh, from your audience about what can we do. I'm also excited about the the workshop that we're having on food sovereignty with uh, Linda Black Elk and her husband. Uh, again, that uh, that might be a yes. first for ESA as well. So we're going to we're doing a lot of firsts, which is okay. <laughs> but we know it's got to start someplace, and so I'm excited about this opportunity to work uh, at the governing level. I think um, those things will, will continue to work. In a positive way, I think we're always about education. Uh, we're always teaching and sharing uh, with all members of ESA. I think that's an also an opportunity, and also what kind of vision, what kind of vision can we put forward to the community as well? And so, I, I'm I am honored to in, in this role as a governing board member, but also it's going to take uh, your efforts as well, Melissa, and, and your community and, and, and your colleagues as well to advance the cause. So I'm looking forward to that for sure. Yes, wonderful, James. Well, we're looking forward to a rich celebration and uh, really some deeper thinking and working together, creating more ethical good space of transformative education and uh, strategy uh, building and partnership development so that we can um, not only protect but heal um, Mother Earth and all our relatives from um, you know, the onslaught of um, unsustainable practices and climate change that we're all experiencing at this time, at this rare, important time that actually has been prophesized by many of our traditions, um, a time of coming together 
um, to work together to really um, heal and protect uh, Mother Earth from, from these radical changes. So thank you so much, James and Gwen, for your leadership and your commitment and your brilliance. It's really been an honor to work with you and all of our ESA um, TEK section members, so many. Um, we mentioned some of you here. And uh, for those of you listeners, um, check out, we have a website, um, ESA TEK. Um, we also have webinars online and resources. We have a Twitter handle. So you can follow some of the ongoing work of our TEK section. And um, if in closing, do you, are there any other last thoughts, James or Gwen, that you may want to share with our listeners? Well, first of all, thank you um, for uh, for listening. And I know uh, uh, Melissa and your leadership and your organizational work for many, many years. Uh, we appreciate that as well. And, and I appreciate our collegiality as well, Melissa, and our friendship. And it was great to see you mm-hmm. in Shepherdson, West Virginia, a couple of weeks ago working on the TK handbook with the Department of Interior and and all those good things that uh, we got to talk about and yeah certainly um you know we're ever we live in interesting times yeah where um our tribal knowledge is is being elevated and so the question again is how do we do that work um and how do we do that work in ways that respect not only our knowledge holders and that those that that work with us but also for the future and I think um uh, your podcast and 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 these kind of things are important. I'm hoping that maybe we can do um, maybe do a podcast at ESA, Melissa. I know you have yeah. a crew here, mm-hmm. but maybe maybe we can, if it's not too late, to think about um, having something like that there and, and to kind of capture some of our speakers that are there in person. Because I know we're all busy. Yes. Hard to get us all together. But let's, maybe we can think about that as an idea. But I, first and finally, I want to welcome welcome everybody to the ESA National Conference in Portland. I think this can be a great gathering. And so uh, if you're thinking about it, uh, I encourage you to join our section, join your society and, and, and make a contribution. Mm. And so I think a lot of good things are coming along too with the organization as well. Uh, we're talking about creating some new journals that's going to be more um, inclusive of traditional knowledge. Uh, we're talking about some new um, foundations and fellowships to include uh, for students to, to be part of the national meeting and, and things like that. So those conversations are ongoing now. There's work going on right now. And so hopefully we can announce some good things at the national meeting in August. But again, thank you, Melissa, for mm-hmm. the invitation to be with you. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that this goes out widely and so people can know what we're doing. Yes. I think awareness is such an important thing. And there's so much things going on, but let's let that good work be shown, talked about, and shared. Mm-hmm. So I want to thank you again. Uh, is it miigwech? Miigwech. Yeah, you got it, man. <laughs> miigwech. Miigwech. Well, big, big miigwech. And up. What is it again? Oh, not going to get my Lakota right. Palima. Wonderful. Thank you all very much. Okay. Thank you, James. And Gwen, um, any last word from you? Thank you, Melissa, for inviting me here to this um, podcast. Thanks for all you being here. And again, like James said, said so many wonderful things and had a, uh, had a brilliant idea about doing another podcast with so many of our colleagues sharing their wonderfulness at ESA. I really support that, encourage that. And I'm just looking forward to seeing you all and going on this journey to create the change that we need to see um, through the application of traditional ecological knowledge. It's, um, it's a wonderful time. Thank you. Yes. Uh, well, miigwech to you, Gwen, and all of your incredible work. And we look forward to seeing you um, very soon in August up in Portland in the Northwest. 
Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Hey, I say, hey, I say, hey, I say, hey.